Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 115, entitled Homecoming. Uh, First, though, some uh, odds and ends. First, a quick shout-out to uh, the website mylostmoment.net, which is run by JB, and he created it uh, uh, because he decided to pay homage to the show by collecting fans' memories of Lost and, hopefully, being able to retell this beautiful story from the viewer's perspective all across the globe. Uh, I had run into uh, the existence of this website, I believe, through uh, through Twitter. That was how I first found out about it. Uh, I wrote my uh, my lost moment that I shared on the website concerning uh, the experience of uh, watching the final episode uh, with, uh, with uh, loved ones. And, uh, well, anyhow, if you're so inclined, you can... Uh, Head over to mylostmoment.net. You could uh, click around and find uh, find mine about uh, the episode at the end, as well as some other uh, wonderful and uh, heartfelt reflections from other uh, from other fans. Um, also, uh, and I suppose this is as good a time as any to talk about it in this episode because it's kind of a shout out, but kind of isn't. This podcast is um, obviously it's you know something I very much enjoy doing, and uh, it's. Uh, inspired in a lot of ways by the uh, the podcast Lost Casts, uh, which uh, I was a, a huge fan of uh, during much of their run. I know they had started for season two and did episodes each week. Um, certainly, the uh, the the take that I have on doing the podcast, you know, it's not overly technical. I do some clips. Uh, it's mostly just me with a microphone. Uh, it's, it's, it's informed a lot by what they did, where it's just about, you know, the insight and the conversation. And if you like me, you stick around. And if you if, if, if I'm not your thing, you move on as well. It's not kind of about, oh, I don't know, uh, simulating some, some massive radio production. So I mentioned this just because uh, this episode, uh, some of the music from this episode uh, brought back some memories of Lost Casts because it was... Uh, uh, it, it was their intro music. So let me just play that quick clip for you. So anyhow, that was the uh, the piece of music with the episode and its uh, sound effects and whatnot. On Lost Cast, they would uh, you know they had the music kind of uh, from the soundtrack and whatnot. Um, again, it's not exactly a plug because they uh, you know their their shtick, as was with many Lost podcasts, was uh, to be responding to the episodes as they happened. So you know they've they've been uh, you know they hung it up a while ago, but uh, just wanted to kind of. Uh, 
well, I suppose, you know, so much of the show is about time travel and and whatnot, so, uh, and flashbacks and flash forwards, so I figured I'd share my flashback uh, of, of those happy memories listening to Lost Cats. Anyhow, moving on, let me share with you quickly a couple little bits of fan feedback. Uh, it's been nice to see, uh, certainly to see uh, positive responses. Um, Sci-Fi Horror Femme on Twitter had, uh, or that's, that's her Twitter name, and then she had uh, emailed me to say the following, just listened to episode 110 and enjoyed it as always. I've been listening to Looking Back at Lost for a while now. Thanks for your great podcasts. I have similar feelings about many things uh, about Lost that you do. Thanks again. So uh, thank you, Sci-Fi Horror Femme. Um, it was certainly nice to uh, nice to get your email. Uh, and I also got an email from Marty, who uh, had two things to say. The first was, uh, after taking a little break from Lost after the finale, yours is the only Lost podcast that I'm listening to regularly at the moment. And I used to have quite a few of them on my iPod dating back to season two. I thought it was going to be like withdrawal after the finale, but instead it was more like saturation. Just needed some time to let it all sink in. I'm one of those folks that liked the end and thoroughly felt a sense of closure. It's now, t- uh, it's now time to return, and I like the relaxed pace. So thank you very, very much, Marty. Uh, I certainly appreciate your kind words. Uh, I'm kind of in a similar boat in terms of uh, needing a little, a little time, having needed a little time away from Lost. Uh, I initially had the idea to do some kind of, you know, th- this looking back at Lost thing to look to look back at it. Um, kind of had it in the spring of the uh, of, of when the finale aired. Uh, so what? That'd be spring 2010, and it just kind of sat there in my head until. Um, well, I mean, shortly after Lost came to Netflix, um, I mean, I certainly had the DVDs for the first couple, first three seasons anyway, but after Lost came to Netflix, I just said, you know what, the time has come, let's uh, let's do this. So uh, one other thing that Marty had shared was uh, I had put out an all call a few weeks ago for anybody who's interested in, re- in reading um, the summary of the episode. So... Uh, um, well, I'll just say that uh, anybody else who's interested, uh, you can certainly get in touch with me, but... Moving on finally now to episode 115, here's the summary as uh, read by Marty, and he also put some music to it and uh, took, a, took a great deal of time and effort to make this uh, beautiful summary. So here we go, the summary for 115, courtesy of Marty. Episode 15 of Season 1 of Lost, Homecoming. The flashbacks show Charlie in the height of his drug addiction. To make money for more heroin, his friend Tommy tells him about Lucy, whose father is very wealthy. Tommy plans for Charlie to steal something of value from her and then sell it. Once invited to her house, Charlie eyes a cigarette case that had once belonged to Winston Churchill. However, he starts developing feelings for Lucy and ends up taking a job selling photocopiers so that he can become more respectable. While preparing for his first day on the job, Charlie's heroin withdrawal gets the better of him, and he takes the cigarette case. His plan to improve his image thus backfires, as he regurgitates under the lid of the photocopier during the demo and proceeds to pass out. The prospective clients, who work for one of Lucy's father's companies, find the valuable antique in his jacket pocket. Later, Charlie goes to see Lucy to explain, but she refuses to hear him out and tells Charlie that he will never be able to take care of anyone. On the island, 
Locke finds Claire, but after she wakes up, she has no recollection of the crash, nor of the other castaways. Later, Ethan confronts Charlie and threatens to kill one survivor each day until Claire is brought back to him. Taking the threat seriously, several of the castaways set up security measures and traps around the settlement. Unfortunately, during the night, Ethan manages to slip through from the ocean and kill Scott. Or was it Steve? No, no, it was Scott. Definitely Scott, I think. Jack plans on using the guns from the Marshal's briefcase to set up a trap to capture Ethan, using Claire as bait. Charlie wishes to join him, but is turned down. A group of survivors wait in ambush for Ethan to show himself and grab Claire. When he arrives, Jack manages to stop and eventually subdue Ethan. However, in the process, he loses his gun. Before they get a chance to interrogate him, Charlie grabs Jack's gun and shoots Ethan dead. When questioned later about why he had killed Ethan, Charlie tells Jack that he deserved to die. In the end, Claire does remember Charlie's imaginary peanut butter. She visits with him and comforts him, and tells him that she wants to trust him. Thanks again to Marty for uh, for reading that episode summary. Uh, if you're interested in reading uh, an episode summary, uh, it certainly doesn't need to be to the uh, the wonderful degree of uh, you know production quality that Marty took. Uh, if you just want to record one uh, with your voice, uh, you can email me. I'll let you know what episode I'm working on. Uh, but anyhow, let's now properly move on to, uh, well, to my thoughts about this episode. Um, I really don't talk a lot about the previously on Lost segment. I mean, you know, why do it? I mean, well, of course, anytime I, I do talk about it, I'm, I'm complaining about you know, how they're recapping within the episode and then previously on Lost, blah, blah, blah. However, this episode is, a spe- it's just an especially good previously on Lost. The different scenes are intercut with fade outs and fade ins, not cuts. It has uh, an, an epic and dreamlike quality to everything. Then add to that just perfect selection of clips. Ethan looking at Claire in that creepy, singular way. Ethan beating Jack up. And it's just a fantastic recap. You know that you know this is, this is going to be a serious episode. Um, also, to the, with this episode early on, or, or frankly throughout the whole episode, there's a, a wonderful, frenetic, handheld quality to the camera work. Uh, as with the early search for Claire in episode 111, uh, which was all the best cowboys have daddy issues, the camera work in this episode really places us in the scene as a shocked observer, not as a passive person sitting at home uh, on the couch. Um, and I'll just talk a bit, uh, uh, for a bit uh, more now about the, the various camera work. Um, it's you know just that, that shaky handheld camera, along with some of the click quick cuts during the opening credits it, it make this makes this episode feel like it's a twilight zone episode um it's directed by kevin hooks uh who uh, you know kind of didn't have uh, i think only did two episodes for for lost um but anyhow i mean there's just an absolutely tremendous quality to the visuals uh, i hope i'm properly crediting him and not say the director of photography or whatever but uh well i'll just continue to Credit Mr. Hooks for the, the visuals in this episode. Um, as further reference during the opening credits, there's a shot of Locke. Uh, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe you're, the camera's maybe 10 feet away from Locke. Um, and he's sitting in contemplation. 
then the camera moves in and it quote unquote finds Boone sitting closer to the camera. Um, and then now the camera has moved. So Boone's in a close up. And this is all one kind of fluid um, mo- movement here. Close up of Boone with Locke still in the background. It could feel a tad contrived. I mean, it might be a case of Boone sitting off camera, then quickly sitting forward, or you know, some kind of this business. But it doesn't feel contrived. It feels like great cinematic directing. It's just quite nice, quite nice. Um, anyhow, let's talk about the uh, the the teaser act, the, this first act in television that gets us hooked and makes us sit through the commercials and whatnot. It is a great, simple act out of Claire screaming her head off, wondering who these people are. I mean, it's effective in what it needs to do, which is uh, getting us hooked into a great episode. And it's just, it's just um, neat. It's tidy. It's energetic. It gives motion to the episode. It's just, just, just wonderful. Um, also, a quick thing I wanted to mention. Well, first of all, let me back up a bit and say, it, it has been. It's basically been a week since I initially watched this episode, did the notes, did the clips, did the Lostpedia, all this, and just because of the. You know, because of a, a busy week, I kept saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll finally podcast it tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. So a week has gone by since I initially first watched this episode. I have I loved, loved this episode from beginning to end to the point that I sat down and rewatched uh, most of it just to uh, to kind of get myself back in uh, back to those feelings that I had for this episode a week ago when I first uh, first rewatched it for the podcast. And uh, I'm glad I did, too, because there is a quick little side discussion of Sun and Jin, uh, wondering about, you know, is Claire all right? And I, I think the initial intent of that scene is for us to be, um, you know, it, it, we we knowing that Sun speaks English, there's a little bit of this uh, tiptoe. You know, Jin is saying, uh, do you suppose she's all right? And you see Sun kind of think for a minute and then say, uh, yes, I hope she's all right. You know, she's not, I, I think as a first-time viewer, you're saying, well, is Jin trying to figure out what she knows? Does Jin suspect? Is this just coincidence? Is this her guilt that she speaks English, et cetera, et cetera? But a bit later in, the, in that very short conversation, Jin is wondering about the baby. He says, is the baby all right? And, uh, you know, she has a similar kind of hedged response, you know, I hope so, or, or let's hope for the best, this sort of thing. And it got me thinking about son's pregnancy. Now, I did a little... Uh, research after rewatching this episode and before starting recording now in factuality or or you know in fact in in the season three episode where you know son is pregnant and Juliet brings her to the uh to, to the medical hatch uh we learned that the baby was indeed conceived on island but I remember being up until that point being a bit confused as a viewer uh seeing these episodes for the first time as to where it was unclear whether it was uh, her or um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I know his nickname was the uh, the Korean Mr. Clean, the uh, the guy who was teaching her English in Korea. Um, I just mention it because yes, I realize in in actuality, Jin conceived uh, uh, their their baby on the island, but uh, I honestly cannot remember what what son's degree of guilt regarding the affair would be at this point, uh, again, not even necessarily knowing that the actors or the writers or anyone had dreamed up the fact that she had had this affair. Um, but again, you know, part of the, the whole notion of this podcast is looking back. To me, it, it looked, again, as far as I can remember, and I don't, I don't 
uh, go out of my way to do tons and tons and tons of research because uh, I'm trying to, you know, I'm rewatching from the beginning. I know about the same as you, but this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't meant to be the end all and be all that answers every single question. Um, I certainly picked up a little bit of uh, of a vibe concerning uh, Jin talking about is the baby all right, and then possibly Sun having some Sun the character having some kind of uh, uh, idea rolling around in her head concerning. Uh, her own possible pregnancy. Now I say son the character because I doubt very much that uh, that the actress uh, said, "Well, now I'm going to think about son being concerned about this pregnancy," uh, because I doubt very, very, very much that it was uh, conceived. No pun intended. In the actress's mind, writer's mind, producer's mind, in anyone's mind at all. Uh, you know, they're having a difficult time enough, frankly, giving all the characters uh, screen time and things to do. I mean, Jin, you know, there's, there was like three or four episodes where Jin did not appear, um, th- this sort of thing. So I doubt very much that they have, you know, the notion that these two are are uh, at a state of such poor marriage and now are slowly growing together again. Uh, that's enough. That's enough. I, you know, I doubt that they have the whole uh, the whole pregnancy thing spelled out. But anyhow. Well, here we are, 17 and a quarter minutes into the episode, and uh, I don't think we're even done with the credits yet. So let's move on. And of course, despite the discussions of Claire, despite this uh, being so much about uh, Ethan's return, Ethan's death, uh, despite the lovely words that people have sent in, this episode is about one thing, and this episode is about Charlie. And uh, in that spirit, let's start with the first clip. So take a listen. Not enough for one day. I won't be sleeping. Oh, lucky for me. I'm much of a sleeper myself. Finally, I'll have someone to stay up with. We're, we're friends. Yeah. Yeah, we're friends. I've I've spoken at length about my appreciation for the Charlie character, how I started watching the show because uh, the actor was in this, et cetera, et cetera. But you listen to that clip. How can you not love Charlie? His sweet earnestness, his quiet dedication, his uh, protective nature over Claire. He's keeping some details for her uh, from her. Uh, details best forgotten. Uh, of course, you know the kidnap and the attempt on Charlie's life and this and that. It's, you know, how, how can you not love Charlie? And I think that's a, a question that the show uh, wants you to be asking because they then quickly contrasted by him snorting heroin and it's him and his uh, junky days and, and uh, whatnot. And uh, certainly we'll talk more about this, um, about this uh, flashback that he gets, uh, particularly towards the end. Uh, but I love I love this flashback. I think that it served, you know, unlike some other uh, uh, flashbacks that we have, it serves the story on the island so so well. Uh, particularly how the end of the flashback fits into the end of this episode. But that's getting a bit ahead of us. Um, here is another clip, one showing uh, Jack and all his wisdom. So, uh, well, as I always say, take a listen. The girl is pregnant, very pregnant. Are we supposed to believe that she escaped from him? What are you getting at? Ethan infiltrated us. Whoever he is and wherever he comes from, he's intelligent. Who's to say he didn't even send Claire? You're off your head, mate. Charlie, calm down. That's a stretch, say. Now wait one second there, Jack. You can tell Charlie not to yell at the crazy idea and then call it a crazy idea. It's, uh, well, 
it's just Jack at his uh, Jack at his very very best, uh, which is to say not very much. Uh, let's move on now quickly to another clip. Uh, if you're a fan of Clipfest episodes, there's uh, a bunch. I actually think I broke my uh, broke my record in this episode with a number of clips. So here we go. Take a listen. Safety in numbers, right? Of course. You have no idea what I'm talking about. How nice it must be to not be involved in the bloody insanity that surrounds us at every turn. It's quite beautiful, really. You take care of your wife. Everything else is someone else's problem. No need to be involved in the decision-making process. No tree-shaking behemoths. French transmissions. Just sweet, bloody ignorance. You don't know how lucky you are, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's using Dominic Monaghan's comic timings uh, so wonderfully. Uh, also, I suppose a bit of uh, a bit of sneaky recap, which only has occurred to me now after rewatching the episode for the podcast twice, making the clip, etc. So, um, it's a sneaky clip or, or, or a sneaky recap, indeed. Um, I don't know. I just kind of love. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I love that clip. I don't really have tons and tons to say uh, other than certainly it's a, a nice bit of contrast. The very very light humor. Um, it also gives uh, Jin uh, an opportunity to be interacting with other people uh, without the benefit of, converse, uh, of a conversation because uh, he's not speaking anything remotely close to English at this point. Um, then, of course, this kind of humor is contrasted by uh, by uh, the the sharp uh, and and grim uh, reintroduction of Ethan. Um, just just a, a fun clip, though. Um, uh, and speaking of clips, let's just move on to uh, another quick one. Charlie, I want her back. What? I, I want you to bring her back. What did you do to her? What did you do? You bring her here. If you don't, I'm going to kill one of them. And then if you don't bring her back before sundown tomorrow, I'll kill another. And another. And another. One every day. And Charlie, I'll kill you last. Well, a couple of things about that clip. First of all, uh, I mean, there you see the example of Ethan just being this. I mean, it's, it's almost like he's a he's a, a human shark of sorts. The way uh, his body is carried, the way he uh, attacks so directly. There's that wonderful uh, uh, inspired bit of uh, makeup. Uh, well, make, makeup where he has the four scratches down his face, um, suggestive of uh, you know of things that we won't see for another season uh, regarding Claire's. Uh, Claire's abduction. Um, it's just, um, it's. It, I mean, it's not. It's not brutal, but it's uh, has a sense of brutality to it, an, an air of brutality, um, and also too. Uh, you know, Charlie had the line in the pilot episode, uh, "Guys, where are we?" And then in this, I, I think the audience reaction is. You know, I almost hear Charlie saying, or it's like the purpose of this scene is for us to say, you know, guys, who are these people? Um, I don't know if perhaps Charlie is uh, some sort of Greek chorus uh, or in the show or or is acting as uh, as the audience in the show, but um, you're certainly sitting here saying, "My goodness, you know who who are these these crazies strong enough to pick Charlie up and uh, 
hold him against a tree and and uh repel the the attack that charlie you know charlie's all set to hit him with a with a, a stick or whatever um i mean it's almost inconceivable to think that this guy is from the same uh you know tea and cookie bunch that we'll see in uh in uh, othersville in, in upcoming episodes um i mean particularly if you think of juliet's uh juliet's book party um and i believe isn't she making muffins for it ahead of time or is that in a flashback um anyhow i mean you think of the degree of civilization and civility that they have there and then contrast it with that clip that i just played um i mean i suppose in a larger sense and this probably goes without saying in a larger sense, it just shows their uh, their fanaticism, or it shows their capacity for uh, for evil, and how that's a reflection on uh, on all of us in society. Perhaps not individually, but you know, there are those who uh, there are Ethans out there who can get the dirty job done. Uh, or I guess I suppose in Ethan's case, he he didn't quite get the job done, given the Carol Claire disappeared. But anyhow, um, it's just uh, boy. It's it, it's almost a bit of a shock when Ethan gets killed at the end because he's in so many. It feels like he's in so many episodes. I think the total count is seven. So if that number is correct, then he has five to go after being killed at the end of this episode. But he just feels like such a um, such a force, doesn't he? And, and I mean, he is. He's the first other. So anyhow, as a quick side note, uh, this episode. Uh, of course, uh, and this is I. I certainly am not claiming uh, to have. Uh, been the first one to think up this bit of trivia here, but uh, it's been noted many, many times before that uh, the fact that Lucy's father is buying a paper company in Slough in the UK uh, is, of course, a reference to the original version of The Office. So uh, just kind of taking note from that, um, you know, it, it got the chuckle uh, uh, from me when I rewatched the episode, even the, even uh, having having heard this bit of trivia before, I still kind of recognized it and knew. Um, I suppose speaking of Lucy and her father and the flashback, um, there certainly are podcast episodes where I don't spend a ton of time talking about the flashbacks because they are, uh, they're generally informed. I mean, you know, certainly the, the bread and butter of the show is the flashbacks and the relationship that they have to On Island. And, um, yeah, most flashbacks are quite good. They tend to be rather direct, uh, you know, create a problem, deal with a problem, solve a problem. They, they kind of lack the nuance of the extended On Island story. Um, so generally, I don't spend much time talking about them. However, this one is uh, is wonderful uh, in part because some of the uh, some of the tenderness from this clip. So take a listen. So you know what? Taking some time off. Quite a lot of time off, actually. It's been a year since we were together. Thinking of doing a solo project. Liam and I don't exactly keep in touch, and there's been some problems with royalties. The fact of the matter is, sir, uh, I think that Drive Shaft might be dead. There's such a wonderful honesty to his slow admission, isn't there? Uh, to me, it just signifies uh, that he is—he desires to be honest, both with Lucy and her father. That he's earnest about uh, 
changing, that he's accepting that uh, his past as uh, as you know, rock and roll star living the living the good life, that this is this is over in so many ways. Uh, he, it's just um, I don't know. It's it, it's him slowly bearing his heart there. And uh, I mean, even earlier in the clip, there's uh, before the part that I played, there's discussion of how the father was. He himself was in a band, and kind of this sort of uh, this sort of uh, backslapping towards Charlie's way of oh, the band, the good old days, and then it just slowly comes out. Charlie realizing, perhaps for the first time, perhaps not, but but realizing that that part of his life is over, and he needs to he needs to move on. Now he's not. in that scene, he's not dealing with his heroin addiction. That's going to uh, that's going to pull him back towards these delusions of uh, oh, I mean, I suppose it's uh, you know, if the band can get back together, then I can get my money, then I can get my my heroin. Uh, I suppose there's an element of that, uh, which we've even seen before in the previous uh, Charlie flashbacks when when he goes to to Liam and uh, you know he's he. Certainly, in my mind, a factor of him wanting fame and fortune is just so he can be left alone to to buy and uh, do heroin. So, um, let's move on. A bit earlier than actually than that clip in the episode, Boone had volunteered for sentry duty, uh, and then a bit a bit after that, there's a shot of him sitting by the fire, holding his pointy stick and a knife. He looks like he's acting. Now, I don't mean this as a slam against the actor. I'm not saying that it looks as though Ian Summerhalder. Holder uh, is acting, but it looks like the character rather is pretending to be a sentry, but doesn't quite have what it takes to, to stick it out all night with a very real threat out there. Um, uh, I remember a, a comment from P.T. Anderson, who's the director of Boogie Nights and other movies, uh, who said that it's a very difficult job to be able to act poorly, and I think that you you see that here. Where you see that um, you see that Boone is acting poorly as a sentry. However, the actor is acting wonderfully as a person who's acting poorly as a sentry. If you, I, I hope you gather. Um, anyhow, I, I mention all of this because the the great episode direction, the great job of the director in this episode continues uh, with something involving Boone. Boone is slowly falling asleep by the fire on sentry duty, boring sentry duty. It's a slow shot. It's uh, unbroken by cuts or anything. It's just a boring cut of him battling to keep his eyes open. You can watch his right eye is closed, but his left eye is just flickering a little bit, trying to keep it open, keep it open. And wisely, the director then snap cuts to one of the the perimeter alarms being set off, which is a a bag of trash falling from a tripwire. It falls so quickly that we hardly see it. It's like we're being woken up too. Now, of course, we recognize it because there was a previous scene, very wisely written, shot, uh, scripted, etc., where they're explaining what this uh, bag of trash is. And it's a clear bag, so you can see the trash in there. And it's all kind of uh, uh, very telegraphed without seeming so. And it all pays off in this moment where you see, and I mean, uh, a fraction of a second, a half a second, a quarter of a second, you just see the trash bag hitting the ground and perhaps a little smidgen of it still in midair. I mean, I'm telling you, it's less than half a second, let's say. But you see it long enough to recognize that it's the bag falling. Now, why am I mentioning all this? It's because it's like we're being woken up too. We have this slow scene. 
He's by the fire. And then cut to daylight, the bag falling. We quickly recognize it as a bag. And then it's morning. And Boone kind of wakes up and shakes himself. You know, it, it's that moment we've all had where, you know, like let's say it's a car horn outside. You hear the car horn and then it wakes you up. But you can remember having heard it before you woke up. And it's this kind of, you know, that whatever that, that function is of our brains. They replicate it in this episode. It's It's wonderful. It's wonderful, and it's, as I say here in my notes, it's one of the best representations of being woken up that I can ever recall seeing. Um, wonderful. Um, moving on, here's a clip, uh, speaking of wonderful, here's a clip that was such a mystery, made no sense at all, barely conceivable what they were getting at the first time we heard it, but in retrospect, after the clip, um, you're going you're gonna to hear this clip and you're going to know what I'm going to say afterwards. So take a listen. thought those guys had the full-on perimeter set up. Locke said it didn't matter. It came in from the water. Oh. You sure it wasn't an accident? I mean, maybe the guy just drowned or something. His neck was broken, both his arms, all the bones in his fingers. Yeah, okay. Got it. So Steve drew the short straw. Dude, that was Scott. Well, in retrospect, duh. How did they come in from the water? I mean, first time viewing, viewing this episode, you say, well, could Ethan have, have been swimming from this long distance where how long is it or maybe they had some sort of whoever the they is maybe you know they had some sort of rubber dinghy or whatever well in retrospect duh they've got a submarine so of course they can come in from the water the fact that a a perimeter was set up around you know in some i'll imagine some crescent shape or some three-sided shape around the camp well that just helps them eliminate the three the the areas that they don't that 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 allows the others to understand exactly where everyone is so that they can then go in through the entry that they wanted to choose probably all along which is by the water you park that submarine 50 100 feet off the shore and it's a simple swim in certainly for somebody of uh, ethan's physique um you know it's just like I know too. It's not the uh, it's not the last time some reference is made to coming from the water. I have what is it? Is it rolling around in my head from the end of season one, perhaps? Um, oh, I, I, there's a beach shot. I don't quite remember. I think it's towards the end of season one, but uh, it's just like, well, hello. Of course they have a submarine. We, we, we know now. Of course they just, you know, drove that bad boy over. You go for a little swim. The, the smallest of swims in. I mean, I don't know how how much. Uh, depth of the submarine needs but certainly you can it's an easy swim in and um well there you go also uh, so wonderful two two other little wonderful bits from that clip there's just that viciousness of all the broken bones it's not just he has a broken neck it's what it's the broken arm the broken fingers and kate's prepared to continue until hurley stops her you know, ouch it's just like ugh. you know th- this is not uh the golf course this is, this is not even the humor of scott or steve um, which they tack on that little joke at the end, uh, which I think lightens up what is otherwise a very grim scene. I mean, it's one thing if you're eaten by the mysterious monster, or it's one thing if you're, you know, the uh, the uh, the marshal that had that big jagged piece of metal in him and was going to die anyway. But for even for anonymous extra 
to be to be killed in such a savage way. Uh, I personally appreciate the little joke just to kind of bring you back to what is a bit more of a normal place for the show, which isn't quite as dark as that. Um, moving on, just a quick uh, minor note here. Uh, Claire, once she has her, well, once Claire's uh, bruising is done with and once uh, Emily Duravin's bruising makeup is off, she looks especially lovely in this episode. Just thought I'd share that. Good job, Emily Duravin. Uh, with that, let's uh, move on to some wonderful, wonderful dialogue uh, from this episode in a clip. So take a listen. What? You know how to handle a gun or not? Uh, I know at least one polar bear seems to think so. Where'd you get the hardware, Hoss? I want to come. Sorry, we're out of guns. No one goes out there unarmed. How much ammo you got? 100 rounds, give or take. All nines, right? Nine millimeters, guns. Yeah. Why? Because if the lady wants to come, lifted this off Marshall back in the old days. Remember him, don't you? Surly guy, kind of square jaw, carried a Sig 9. Yeah, I remember you shot him and missed. Yeah, well. Bygones. That's just fantastic dialogue. It's just it's wonderful, doesn't it? It's, it's uh, three of your three of your better characters. And as much as I'm a Charlie fan, you know, to take Sawyer, Jack, Kate, and to give them dialogue where they're kind of uh, bumping into each other a bit. You know, Jack wants help, doesn't necessarily want Kate to come. Kate wants to come. Sawyer wants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just kind of there's dramatic tension between the three of them, so they they use that. It's just wonderful. It's also a pertinent recap via dialogue that is not forced. It's an organic, natural reflection from previous episodes, uh, the, of course, uh, involving the business of the marshal, um, and it also explicitly tells the audience where the fifth gun has come from. Whether you've seen those episodes or not, whether you remember them or not. Thank you, Lost, for finally not just, you know, you're, you're walking along and say, you know, there's that French lady's transmission just out of the blue. This is 100% natural. It's, it's, it's excellent. Um, moving on, let's take a moment just to look at this episode as a whole here. This episode is almost suggestive, I think, of the final seasons, four and five, uh, pardon me, five and six. It's taut, it's lean, it's also relatively sparse, and none of that is a criticism. I love the lengthy ponderings about the hatch and Dharma and all that, but sometimes the direct route works. And this episode is direct, and it's wonderful. And in fact, this, this tautness and this tension continues as Claire is set as bait. There's no dialogue. There's just great angles, heavy rain, and anticipation. It's, it takes a page out of any movie that you've ever seen where the battle is coming and they just take a while for people to get set up. You see the various montages of uh, armor being put on or guns being loaded or, or, or this sort of thing. It's, and here it's just the wait, the wait for Ethan to come. And then out of the blue, of course, Ethan appears, his arm twisted in frozen motion, which is an oxymoron, but that's what it is. And then he just lunges at Claire. It's, it's fantastic. Um, it, it, it's the explosion that sets off the fight scene. And the fight scene that follows is 
bone crunching, butt kicking. You need to get an ice pack and watch it with the ice pack on your own face because your face hurts from watching the fight. Watching it, I felt cold from the rain and my fist hurt from the punching. And all this was while I was laying on the couch taking notes for the podcast. It was just, just, just wonderful. Um, I mean, just a, just a, a, a bone-crunching, wonderful fight scene. It was just, just fantastic. As soon as you're done with this, get out your disc, go on Netflix streaming, etc. Find the fight. It, it's great. It's great. Let me take a deep breath here because I'm so excited from the fight. But uh, let's move on to a clip, and I'm sure I'll be a bit more, a bit more calm when I return. Why did you do it, Charlie? Because he deserved to die. He could have told us where he came from. What he wanted with Claire, why he... You ever think he would have told us anything, Jack? I wasn't going to let that animal anywhere near her again. It's a, it's a fine question that Jack asks. Why did you do it? And, you know, Charlie's answer is kind of uh, pedestrian enough. Um... But of course, it sets up the, the the final flashback scene, which I'll which you'll hear part of in a moment. Then, then we shall discuss, dear listener. But um, it's I appreciate that the show stops to ask this question, given that the show has now delayed a major mystery. We all know the frustration. I mean, uh, uh, that Lost can 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 give you. Uh, it's one thing if it's a an episode cliffhanger or a season cliffhanger. Because at least you know, you know your your TV guide or on your or on the online forums or whatever. You know through the proverbial TV guide that you know tonight's episode is the season finale, and you know it's not going to be the again not this one. I'm kind of talking hypothetically. Season finale. Uh, you know it's May. You know it doesn't return until September, or it doesn't return till till January, et cetera, et cetera. So you're preparing yourself to be kind of kicked in the gut and left smarting until the show returns. But there are these uh, there are these other times in the show where they're so frustrating. The one that comes to mind is uh, Ben in the hatch, and uh, it just seems to slow down. He's saying, "Oh, well, where'd the cereal come from?" Huh? You'd think you'd be asking these questions. And we're all sitting at home saying, "Yes, can somebody please ask this guy where does the food come? What does the hatch do? What does the button work? Do you need the button? This and that, the other." So, <laughs> at least here in this clip, the show is. Uh, explaining why they have punted a major mystery downfield and made us made us wait all the more. So, what is the answer to the question? I mean, yes, Charlie says I don't. I didn't want anybody to hurt that, you know, to hurt her again. But there's a, a further reason, as explained in this clip. Lucy made a mistake. You made a mistake. My father's sales manager comes here to my house to return a cigarette case that the EMTs pulled from your suit pocket at the bloody hospital, and it still smells of your sick. Oh, you meant to, Charlie. You meant to from the start. You're a liar. I believed you, and you lied. I thought you wanted to. You said. You selfish bastard! Lucy, if I can just explain. Just tell me one thing, and don't you dare lie to me. I get why you pretended to like me. I understand why you stole. Because you're a junkie. But I don't understand why you took the job. Why did you take the job, Charlie? I wanted to be respectable. I wanted you to think that I could take care of you. 
You'll never take care of anyone. That's a raw, honest scene where two hurt people are telling the truth to each other and still can't agree. Uh, it, it was painful to watch. As a Charlie fan, he's so defeated by his own actions. It, uh, it you know, it's it's her coping with her own limitations as somebody who isn't as beautiful as she'd like to be, uh, and her her stumbling over her words because she doesn't want to admit that. It's Charlie wrestling with his own uh, limitations, the limitations of his will that he can't overcome this drug addiction. Uh, despite every sane, heartfelt intention to to take the the kind opportunity that Lucy was giving him uh, to help turn his life around, uh, you know she she saw him for who he really was beneath the the addiction. Uh, it's I mean, it's a tough scene. It's a heartfelt scene, and and there we go. It explains why he did what he did in terms of killing Ethan. It. He wants to take care of someone so desperately. He wants to do the right thing. And here he's trying to exercise his own demons. Uh, here he's been forced to overcome his drug addiction, uh, given that he's, you know, all the heroin on, uh, heroin on the island is now burned up, of course, with the exception of that plane filled with heroin that we're going to be running into in, uh, in later seasons. But... For now, anyway, he's clean by virtue of the fact that he chose to get himself clean and there's no more temptation. And, um, and you know, he's just, uh, he, he, he's, he's doing what he can do uh, for Claire because of his experiences with Lucy. To me, it's the perfect flashback. It's one that explains wonderfully with, with perfection why on-island actions were what they were due to those flashbacks. It's just really, really nice. Uh, however, the episode does not end there. There's a, there's a final clip, so take a listen. I remember peanut butter. Why do I remember peanut butter? There's imaginary peanut butter, actually. I don't know what happened to me. I'm scared. I want to trust you. And that's it. That's the show. And I don't mean the episode, uh, although that is, you're listening now to the end of the episode. That's the whole show. That's what the whole show is about. It's about people connecting despite all odds, disparate, broken people finding a connection in this life and feeling the tug of heartstrings towards the next. It's just, uh, it's a lovely, lovely episode. It, uh, that peanut butter clip, when I, when I first rewatched the episode for the podcast, I found myself tearing up. Um, it's just, uh, it's just so moving. It's, it's two, two people who are hurting amongst a group of people who are hurting slowly, uh, slowly trying to find their way and doing so together from, from that, 
Let's move on to Lostpedia and uh, something, something that I can't believe. Lostpedia says, after you've heard the end of this wonderful episode, says that Damon Lindelof at one point admitted that this was his least uh, favorite episode of the entire series. Here's a quote. Homecoming, I think, was flawed on almost every single level that an episode of Lost could be. I cannot believe, literally cannot believe that he meant that. This is as perfect as as perfect on every level as an episode of Lost could be, perhaps aside from uh, the finale uh, and perhaps aside from uh, a cliffhanger you know, or, or, or a season finale, any sort of finale, season finale, series finale, aside from what those get you, which is a, fi- you know, uh, a final payoff of some sort or a wonderful zinger of some sort, season three, the, the revelation of it being a, a flash forward. For in terms of what a normal episode could be, and I believe there were 121 episodes total, six of those were finales. Of the rest, and one of those was the pilot, we'll add that to it. So of the rest of those 121, I don't know. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this podcast for the long haul. I can't imagine seeing a better constructed episode with heartfelt, uh, heartfelt, important, pertinent uh, flashbacks that inform the on-island story and an on-island story that moves with uh, pace and determination uh, and to some sort of resolution. The Ethan problem at the end of this episode is over. Yes, questions remain, as they do at the end of every episode and every f- season finale and the series finale, questions remain. But this is, uh, to me, I'm sorry, this is as perfect as an episode as you can get. So I, I disagree wholeheartedly uh, with Damon Lindelof. Um, and certainly if anybody f- can find evidence online uh, as to him uh, saying he was joking or misquoted or whatever, I'd be, be, be knocked over to hear it, just be out of, out of joy. So anyhow, a couple other quick things from Lostpedia as I uh, get done waving my finger here at the, uh, one of the, the great minds behind the show. Um, so some more trivia here from Lostpedia. Scott becomes the first of many survivors to be buried in the cemetery. Uh, this is the first time since White Rabbit that all cast members appear. And also at one point, Ethan has an unexplained limp. This is a remnant of a deleted scene where Ethan breaks through the security perimeter and fights Locke, who stabs him in the thigh before Ethan knocks him out. While a promotional image of the scene has been released, the scene was not on the DVDs. So I don't know... I mean, frankly, I'm I'm just fine uh, having Ethan appear in the beginning of the episode to deliver this ultimatum uh, to return Claire, and then to return at the end uh, when he is given Claire uh, as part of the ruse to capture him and then his death. So, with that, I, don't know, I still find myself grumpy here at Old Damon. So, sorry, old boy. Um, let's look ahead to next week. Next week will be episode 116, entitled "Outlaws," which features Sawyer in Australia. As I recall, it's a very fun, uh, very fun episode. Of course, I believe it has the the revel. You know, he kills the wrong Mister Sawyer. He's been duped or, or whatever. But we will uh, we'll, we'll tackle that one together next week, dear listeners. Reminder that new episodes hit the website on Fridays, iTunes on Saturday, and the Lost Podcasting Network over the weekend. Uh, as always, a huge thanks to uh, Ryan and the Lost Podcasting Network. They actually have a new uh, Ryan and the Lost Podcasting Network have a new 
presence on uh, Twitter where they are Lost Cast. No S at the end because that is the Twitter home of Lost Casts, the uh, podcast I mentioned in the beginning. So you can find the Lost Podcasting Network um, on Twitter at Lost Cast. And if you'd like to say hello to me on Twitter, you can find me at, uh, at Looking Back Lost. Uh, you can send an email to me at lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. If you, if you have an iPhone or an iPod Touch or a computer with a microphone, you can record uh, your feedback uh, with the voice recorder and email it. You also can read, uh, you know, get in touch with me about reading an episode summary. You can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but not least, you can always find these and this episode and past episodes on iTunes. You can leave a starred, uh, you know, give it a star rating or leave it a written review. So thank you once again for listening. It is uh, certainly the creative highlight of my week to be uh, churning these episodes out. So I will see you all next week for 116 Outlaws. Take care. Bye-bye. Annyeong. Annyeong.